All right, good morning, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast podcast. So grateful for this morning, grateful that I've had the opportunity to share a bunch of amazing stories, and today is no different. I have an amazing person on today uh, who has an amazing story. Um, he's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I get to work with him every single day. Um, he's very inspiring. And boy, does he have a story. <laughs> and uh, his name is James Budge, and uh, um, I'm grateful to have you. So good morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Yeah. <laughs> it's bright and early for James. This is four hours earlier than he normally gets up. Uh, there's, there's not many people I'd get out of bed this early for, but you're one of them. Wow. <laughs> See, I feel, I feel, I feel uh, honored. You have to play golf and hang out with you. So <laughs> That's right. Golf or Todd, that's mm-hmm. when he'll get up early. Yep. But yeah, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited for the listeners to uh, get to know James. And uh, you have quite the story, uh, one that's been very difficult at times, obviously, growing up. You've had some tough moments, but it's amazing what you're doing now with your life and how you live your life now. And I just think it's you're, you're inspiring to me. And that's why I wanted to have, have you on here because... I know you'll inspire other people as well. Mm-hmm. So those that are listening, um, you know, when, when we're done with this belief cast today, please share it with your family and friends, anyone who might be struggling, who needs some some pick me up kind of thing, and uh, and we'll kind of go from there. So, well, right on. So James, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, where did you grow up? A little bit about your family, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I grew up in Sandy in Utah. I've lived in Sandy for the majority of majority of my life uh, a little bit in draper and but always mm-hmm. in salt lake okay. i've got you know a pretty amazing family mom and dad love them brother and sister are amazing and you know inspire me to be a better person absolutely so mm-hmm. i've got you know i've got a great family are you where do you fall in line with your siblings are you in the middle oldest youngest so i'm the oldest of three okay. i've got a younger sister uh, she's two years younger than me i'm 29 and a little brother, he's five years younger than me. Okay. Yep, my sister's a nurse, and my little brother's studying music at Snow College. Oh, right on. So are you close to your siblings? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I'm close with them. We're all pretty busy. Me at the treatment center, and yeah. Emily at the hospital, and Nathan's down in Ephraim. So uh, we got together and saw each other yesterday, and it's always good to catch up with them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So your parents are still together, and they still live out in Sandy as well, or are they? Yes, uh-huh, okay. yep, they've lived in the same place the whole time that I've been alive, and I've been married for over 30 years now, and right yeah, they're, they're doing really well. Mom's a pharmacist, dad's an engineer. Right on. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, now just tell people, tell our listeners what you're currently doing right now. As far as Work-wise. work, yeah. yeah. So I'm a recovery coach at Wasatch Recovery. Uh, worked here for close to five years. Five years in June. Started as line staff, so you know checking on clients, making sure that they're okay in the night, and mm-hmm. cooking meals. And then did the house manager position for a little while. And you know my ultimate goal was to be where I'm at now, which is working with clients one-on-one and in groups. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. And, you know, it's something that has certainly, you know, taught me a lot. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get to rub shoulders every day with people who are struggling and you get to help them and inspire them. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know I get to rub shoulders with James every day. We work side by side. It's it's a it's a blessing to work with James. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of you know your you know your younger years and maybe some where you got kind of caught up in some things that uh, you know you, you know James is a recovering um, addict. Um, he's been clean for how long now? Oh, uh, since 2012, uh, five and a half years or so. Nice. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah. Awesome. Yep. So let's talk about what, what kind of led up to, you know, you got kind of involved in drugs and alcohol. Let's kind of get into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bit. So the as far as the drugs, they came into the picture when I was 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one beer with friends when I was 16 years old and you know that was really the only time that I ever drank normally mm-hmm. and, you know the, <laughs> that's the only time that I you know had one and was like okay yeah that didn't do anything to me but you know the, a waste of time. yeah uh, what's this all about for sure <laughs> but the next time that I drank I you know drank a six-pack and mm-hmm. smoked some weed and blacked out and puked on my friend's carpet and thought this is awesome <laughs> like <laughs> i woke up to him vacuuming up my puke and you know but wow yeah but it was how old were you again 16? i was 16 or maybe 17 that second okay. time mm-hmm. yeah what what do you think why did you try it in the first place it was just like hey somebody's got together let's let's, let's drink something or yeah so you know i grew up you know religious and i followed those you know, morals pretty strictly until I was probably 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And then I started hanging out with some friends that, you know, I, that I thought that were cool. Right. Know, looking back on it, it, you know, I, it's amazing the things that, you know, we see as cool, but, yeah. and using drugs and trying to escape your life, I certainly don't see as cool anymore. But at the time, you know, I wanted to fit in with that group. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what they were doing. And, you know, they said, let's, you know, let's have one. And, well, initially it started with cigarettes. I didn't even know how to smoke, really. I was right, just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, and it starts with those little rules that we break. And cigarettes was one of them. And once I kind of crossed that line and broke one rule, it made it that much easier to break the next one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we hear this a lot obviously people it just it's really starts with the small things mm-hmm. like you break one little maybe rule that you kind of had before like you know I'd never do that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then you slowly kind of creep into you know the drug scene mm-hmm. and and you went hard right I mean it got to a point where you know things got really out of hand so maybe talk a little bit about how that kind of came about yeah um so after, you know, after that next time that I drank, the second time that, you know, I got so inebriated that I passed out, I, I really fell in love with it. I mean, I... Why do you think you fell in love with it, though? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you wake up, hungover, you puked, mm-hmm. but you're saying, man, I loved it. Why do you think you loved it? Because I didn't enjoy the reality that I was in, I guess, is the way that I see it. You know, I, I was struggling. I, you know, never felt like I fit in. I wasn't okay with who I was. I always had a voice in the back of my head just flicking me saying, you know, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Every time I'd 
begin to find a measure of happiness, that voice would kick me back down. And, you know, when I got screwed up, that voice shut up. And, you know, for me, like I said, after I broke that first rule, it was all bets were off. You know, I held myself to a high standard. And for me, there was no real difference between smoking cigarettes or doing heroin. Like, it was all bad. Right. So I've already crossed that line into bad, so... No, let's see where this takes me. I kind of like that all or nothing mentality. Like I'm, I'm, I'm all in now, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, because you know, again, as you, as as your listeners know, we call this a belief cast because I'm, you know, I'm passionate about beliefs because our beliefs dictate our behavior every time. Mm-hmm. And here you are, you're trying to live the best you can. You're doing really well, but you have mm-hmm. this voice in your head saying you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, or you're not good enough, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Absolutely. And you said, you know, even though you drank, you puke, you're sick, whatever, mm-hmm. you're like, that voice shut up for a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, wow, okay. Yeah. So now you kind of found like, well, I'm going to go in this direction now. Mm-hmm. You were going one direction, now you're going in this one. And so so obviously it starts with, you know, cigarettes and then drinking. And then what did that lead to? Well, ultimately, uh, for me, led to cocaine and heroin. And there's a lot of stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's really not a lot that I haven't done as far as how old were you when you started you know doing like coke and harder drugs I mean you started when you were 16 with kind of these smaller things yep Mm -hmm. when did it get really from that that point yeah from that second time that I used it was less than six months before I had a daily cocaine and heroin habit wow yep Mm -hmm. less than six months yes Uh uh-huh so you're roughly 17 17 and a half years old yep not even, yep, not even 18 years old and wow. using cocaine and heroin every day, at least heroin, you know. Yeah. Cocaine was a little bit expensive, so yeah. that was what I could afford yeah, it. But. Yeah, cocaine's expensive. <laughs> yeah, it was something every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Were you, at the time, in the moment, did you feel like, man, this is a bad, I'm in a bad place? Or you're like, man, this is wonderful, this is fun? No. Everything's great? Yeah, I thought that this was what my life had been missing, like... This was the answer that I'd been searching for. Yeah. And this was the way that I was meant to feel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Did your Did your parents know at this point, kind of that you were partying and doing these things, or did they, or did you hide it well, or? So, yeah. When I was seventeen years old, I'd been, I'd been using for about a month, and my my parents actually had a police officer come and put me pretty sure he put me in handcuffs I <laughs> can't remember for sure but yeah either way the police escorted me to a treatment center and you know that was my first introduction to 12-step programs first introduction to you know treatment and right. when you've been using for a month I mean I was the last thing I wanted to do was quit at 17 years old. So, <laughs> so I'm, I would imagine you were upset that you were going to this, you know, adolescent treatment yeah. center. Yeah. And you you have to go because you're you're a minor. Yeah, I Your had no choice. Basically turned you in. Yeah, I had yeah. no choice. It was a lockdown facility. I actually found a way to run from that facility twice. And that's how strong my desire was to use. It was 
the middle of winter. They knew I was a flight risk both times. <laughs> they took my shoes to deter me from leaving. And, mm-hmm. you know, when one of the counselors opened the door to come in for work, I just bowled her over and took off and really? went to a random house and said, you know, my friends left me at a park and played the poor me card to manipulate someone into using a phone. And, you know, I was back at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. How long before you were discovered that you had left and your family obviously were probably looking for you? Yeah. So the first time I had a true friend that actually said, that knew I was in treatment and had escaped that said, <laughs> hey, come talk to me, come see me. And when I went to see this friend, there was seven cop cars that you know surrounded me after I pulled into the driveway. They just came out of nowhere. And they took me back to treatment that first time. And then the second time was I I told my parents that I am moving to Texas because I don't want to be homeless in Utah in the middle of winter. In winter time, yeah. Yeah, so I you know, manipulated them into, you know, taking me off that list or whatever and having the cops look for me. Right on. So you... And that's one of the things, you know, and this is very common with people who use and abuse drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. is you become re- really good at manipulating, mm-hmm. lying, cheating, sneakiness, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So you got really good at that. I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. My, yep. My parents always said I should be a lawyer because I was so good at twisting words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's another one of those common threads among people who are struggling with that because you'll, it's interesting, you almost do whatever it takes to make sure you can keep partying and doing drugs, and mm-hmm. and that's why you get so good at it. Yep. Because you want it that bad. Yeah, that was priority number one. Yeah. Not food, not friendship, not family, it was drugs. That's wow. it. Wow. And if I didn't, you know, if I didn't have drugs, then I never went without drugs. I always found a way unless yeah. I was locked up. That's how strong my desire to yeah. change the way that I feel was. So after you were locked up twice, uh, as a young kid, you manipulate your way out of that. Mm-hmm. Now you're, are you still, are you back at home now again or where are you at? No, uh, uh-uh. I, I got a job at a fast food restaurant and fell in with another, you know, group of friends using friends and, mm-hmm. Um, I couch surfed and ultimately ended up living with one of them. And this was one of the craziest periods of my life. Absolutely. It was, you know, 17 to, you know, 21. I mm-hmm. don't remember a lot of, you know, but that's, you know, that's when criminally I took off. You know, it wasn't right. just drugs anymore. It was you know, stealing from people in the middle of the night and, you know, I robbing the place that I work and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, some, a lot of things that I'm today not proud of. Yeah, I can tell you, you're kind of emotional about it even right now. Yeah, absolutely. It still bothers you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. what's funny is people who know you now, I mean, mm-hmm. would never even that's not you. Right. Like, like when you're telling me this right now, I'm like, I can't even imagine you doing that. Right. I mean, I get it. Yeah. Uh-huh. But to know you now, it's just, 
completely opposite of who you are at this moment. Yeah, absolutely. So you started robbing to kind of, was it robbing for the fun of robbing or to support your habit? It was, or both. you know, it was primarily to support my habit, but okay. it also became, you know, a game and a power trip mm-hmm. and, you know, fed my ego. You know, I thought of myself as like a wolf and everyone else was a sheep. You know, I was strong enough to, you know, take what I wanted from other people is the way that I saw it. Like somehow that made me superior because I was willing to sacrifice my morals and, you know, I could, I'd call it going cold and just shut off, shut off my feelings and my, you know, sense of what's right and wrong and, you know, took what I wanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so that was between the ages of 17 and 21 Mm -hmm. and I know you've spent some time in jail. Yeah, I have. (laughs) Absolutely. When when did that happen? Was that during this time as well where you got caught stealing or? Um, yeah. So man, I, you know, I got my first charges as an adult on my 18th birthday and you know, I'd, I, I was put on probation then and three months later I got a couple of felonies and a handful of misdemeanors and you know this is whatever 18 and three months and you know that mm-hmm. was I didn't go to jail then because you know the detectives were hoping that I would roll on you know the people that sold me the drugs oh, yeah. but ultimately I did end up in jail for that and I did the drug court program for three years and you know my I was in jail, I don't know, probably, probably 10 times during that three year period. And, you know, even though I was on drug court, I, you know, I got a DUI while I was on drug court. I, you know, got a infraction for driving under the influence again on drug court. I got a shoplifting charge. Like, you know, that didn't slow me down. You know, not even jail hurt bad enough. Like, I wanted to change the way that I felt so badly that, you know, jail was just part of the game. Yeah. And do you think that that same voice of saying, I'm not good enough, was that still flickering in the back of your head? 100%. Even during this time? Yeah. 100%. Where do you, where do you think that started? Because you mm-hmm. said, you just said at the beginning of this that mm-hmm. loving family, great family. Yeah. You know, and I've met your family, great yeah. family. <laughs> right, for sure. Uh-huh. You know, so what, where do you think that started where you started? I mean, did something happen to you that were you, mm-hmm. that you just went, man, I'm not good enough? Or... Yeah, yeah, there was a couple things. Um, when, you know, growing up, initially I was, you know, I was the fat kid, which was, you know, something that was difficult for me. I That's something I got teased for from mm-hmm. the time that I was like seven or eight, you know, and, you know, I was an ex-man playing football and can do anything but be one of the big guys on the line, and I wanted to <laughs> right. be a running back, and that kind of, you know, formulated, you know, kind of affected my self-worth, but the biggest, right. you know, the biggest thing was, you know, from, I don't remember the exact age, and it went on for a while, but between probably the ages of eight and ten, I was sexually abused, um, mm. probably, I don't know. 10 or 15 times by, you know, a male. And that's something that caused a lot of confusion for me. 
What was the ages of that again? Probably between eight and ten. Ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would. I can imagine how difficult that would have been as a young kid. Yeah. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah, and Turned it was your world upside down. Yeah, and it was something that, you know, like sexual sins, were mm-hmm. you know are obviously viewed as like a serious type of sin, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw it as in a lot of ways my fault. So I felt as though, you know, a lot of that responsibility for that happening fell on me and it made me like a sick, twisted person. And, you know, I viewed myself as, you know, the word that always came into my head was monster. Mm. You know, you're a monster. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So you have this going on in your head as a young kid and, and so... I can imagine when you said around age 16, 17, when you, when you drank for the first time and it was like for the first time in many, many years, that voice shut up for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like, this is what I need to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes perfect sense as you say that now. It's like, wow, I can see why mm-hmm. you have this experience with drinking, mm-hmm. why you would keep going because you're like, man, I finally found something that's going to keep that voice out of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I do want to say that, you know, abuse is never the victim's fault. But when you're eight or ten years old, you know, you know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't understand it. I didn't comprehend that. Yeah. And, you know, so looking back at it, it's like, you know, how could I view myself that way? But, you know, it's something that I think happens more often than society likes to admit. Yeah. And that's something that can, you know, cause a great deal of harm. For sure. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for making that clear, and I mm-hmm. agree with you 100%. And, yeah. uh, and I appreciate you sharing this. Yeah. And being mm-hmm. vulnerable about it. Yeah. Vulnerable about it. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some listeners that are going to, who have been maybe through the same thing, or they got a family member who's been through something like that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know? And that's the beauty of this, dude. Right. Because you have, look at you now. It's mm-hmm. so incredible. Yeah. We're going to get into more of that in just a sec. Mm-hmm. So let's jump ahead again just a minute. Um, so you said you you know you spent a lot of time in jail, you mm-hmm. know, off and on. What was your longest stint in jail at one Yeah, time? so the longest stint was close to five months. It was, mm-hmm. you know, four months and some change. I was mm-hmm. I think I was maybe I don't know. I don't know how old I was. That period of my life was that was definitely a blur, but I was in the CATS program in Salt Lake County Jail. This is after I'd been kicked out of drug court so I must have been 22 but you know I ultimately you know they had thrown me in jail enough times and said we're done with you and you're a you know you're a danger to our community and sentenced me to you know one of the felonies Mm -hmm. and you know dropped the rest of them but at that time I, I was a felon right and part of my you know sentence was to complete the cats program and if i did that successfully then i wouldn't have to go to prison Mm. and 36 months of ap and p so four and a half months was the longest continuous period that i spent in jail Mm -hmm. was that difficult um being in jail because you had to be clean. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could use in jail. You know, you know more about it than I do. But I would imagine if you want to get uh, yeah. want to get high in jail, can you? Yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. Any, every time that I 
and I and I laugh not because it's cool. I laugh because I find, you know, the thinking fascinating. Right. That here I am going to jail, but I'm sneaking drugs in. You know, any time that I planned on going to jail, like I knew, like when I failed the drug test, you're going to jail, and I almost looked forward to it because I got to that was meant all bets were off, and I could use cocaine and heroin because I'm going to jail anyway. They're not gonna right. care. And... They're not gonna care. <laughs> yeah, right. At this point, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But that last time, well, that wasn't the last time in jail, but that period was the first time that I really wanted to get sober you know 90 percent of me wanted to get sober it's easy to get sober when you're you know in in jail it like sounds like a good idea you know like (laughs) you know this kind of sucks right (laughs) if i can for sure like you know i like wearing my own underwear and you know being trusted with a knife and you know like it's a mate and you know showering in privacy and yeah like, yeah, those are things that are nice that you take for granted i'm sure yeah. when you get into jail you go oh boy yeah uh-huh, absolutely I, I have to go to the bathroom with my cellmate two feet from me right and you know eat right next to the toilet and <laughs> wow you know it's those things that you don't think about that are the most degrading yeah mm-hmm. wow well you know um and i can't imagine how tough that was so you complete that Cats program then, obviously. Yes, I do. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I hung on to, I hung on to a reservation the entire time that, you know, maybe I could drink and maybe I could smoke weed and maybe do a little bit of hallucinogens, <laughs> just leave cocaine and heroin alone. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, you know, I, I really did do the work that, you know, was put in front of me as far as. The CATS program was concerned. I was, you know, made, you know, put in, you know, a position of leadership while I was in there. And, you know, but I wasn't mm-hmm. honest about that reservation. And, you know, doing 90% of what you're supposed to do doesn't cut it. You know, there's, if you can't be completely honest, or if I can't be completely honest, mm-hmm. I can't stay sober. Right. You know, or at least honest to the best of my ability. Sure, and sure. It's certainly about, you know, the desire to use. Like, you know, I, I knew cocaine and heroin were going to take me down a bad path, but, you know, I thought that, you know, softer drugs or whatever were... I'll <laughs> <laughs> you know, just I'll tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, all right. <laughs> and, you know, it was three days after I got out of jail that time that, you know, was with friends again, you know, be careful who you surround yourself with, but... You know, I was certainly part of the problem, not to mm-hmm. put it off on friends. That decision certainly falls on my shoulders, but the people right. that we surround ourselves with can certainly, you know, have an effect on our decision-making if Absolutely. we allow it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah, it was, they were all smoking salvia, which is, you know, a hallucinogen that only lasts like 30 seconds. And my tricky little brain said it's 30 seconds it's not physically addictive, so it's okay. Like, how can you get addicted to something that lasts 30 seconds? Like, <laughs> and sure, I didn't get addicted to it, but it worked so well that the next weekend I did GHB, and that went so well that the next weekend I drank. And then, you know, i am mm-hmm. got a full-blown freaking pill and alcohol and have it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it led back to cocaine and heroin a little bit, but... 
you know, I got primarily just as miserable just smoking weed, doing pills, and, you know, drinking as I did with a, you know, full-blown heroin habit. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, so let's, um, I mean, there's a lot to your story, and I know, I mean, we could we could probably spend two hours just talking about jail experience. <laughs> yeah. We'll have you back uh-huh. on for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, sure. I'm being dead serious. I'd love to do that. Yeah. But what I want to get into now, um, mm-hmm. let's jump ahead. I mean, you're doing amazing now. You've been mm-hmm. clean for five and a half, is that what you said? Yes. Uh-huh. Five and a half years, per se, you know. Mm-hmm. Let's... What what got you to on that track? I know I know you know the twelve step program, mm-hmm. AA Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. has been a big part of your recovery. Yeah, it certainly you're passionate has. about it. You're one of the most passionate people about that, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things I admire about you. Mm-hmm. Like you don't care. Right. This is hey boom. This yeah. is what helped me. This is what worked for me, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna shout it from the rooftops. Right. And that's mm-hmm. what I love about you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about how did that kind of start? Like. What started you on that path of being clean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess it started with the last night that I, well, almost the last night that I used, but the moment that I, you know, decided to give sobriety a complete and honest shot, you know, I was at this point drunk from the moment that I woke up to the moment that I went to sleep, had to wake up mm-hmm. in the middle of the, of the night to... You know, take a drink to go back to sleep and you know was a lot of nights that I couldn't remember but I guess I you know during those blackouts I would get super depressed and talk about wanting to die and you know one of those nights you know I I'm a guitar player and you know I was playing a song you know by Seether called Fine Again and either yeah yeah uh-huh. yeah and that you know one of the lines says one day too late not as well or, or you know and it's talking about you know tomorrow you know tomorrow might be too late is what my mom said mm-hmm. you know like you're not going to continue to you know live if you keep doing this and i can't right. remember word for word but it was one of those like you know my mom's a beautiful amazing person and you know, I'd always drowned out the advice of the people that love me, but for whatever reason, this time I heard it, and I think it's because I hurt bad enough. Right. And you know, it was not working for me anymore. I was a slave. I was a slave to, you know, the substances. Mm-hmm. And you know, I went to detox that night, and you know, on the way, I was crying. I was, you know, on several different drugs and at what the time was five times over the legal limit and of alcohol and I was, was I can't remember if I said this but it was the middle of the night and on the way I was looking out of the city and the lights and I you know said what today I recognize as a prayer but I didn't at the time I said if there's anything out there please help me and wow. you know, I just pleaded with the universe that you know if there's any source of good and strength that might be watching out for me please help me and you know that's where it began for me and I, that was steps one two and three for me in did that you moment. did you feel like you got an answer by you know you said you didn't recognize mm-hmm. it as a prayer but that's yeah. really what it was yeah kind of a plea for help yeah i need something yeah did you feel like you got an answer at that point or um in a way i felt gradual? as though i did um today i oh, 
completely believe that I did and sure. got far more than the answer that I was searching for. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, right. I don't want that much. <laughs> right, for but sure. Right. Uh, you mean, it was that easy? All I had to do was ask. Like, <laughs> That's but, awesome. But in that moment, there was, you know, there was a sense of catharsis in the, yeah. in the surrender, yeah. even though, you know, I haven't ever had God speak to me in English. There was you know, like a sense of peace that came over me. And wow. yeah, it was a, it was a cool experience. Probably for the first time in yeah. forever. <laughs> right. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, as a kid, you know, your our childhoods are supposed to be good. You go through something really tough. You're abused. Mm-hmm. And then you have this belief that you're not good enough, which leads into the only way I can drown this out is I discovered alcohol and drugs and, well, I'm going to do that. But the whole time, if you look at that whole period there's no peace. Mm, None. Yeah, right. You're still, you're still one chasing a dragon in one direction and then running from that voice saying, I'm not good enough. Yeah. You exactly. just ran from it, yep. but, but it was still there. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. No peace. No. And you know, drugs gave that fake like illusion of peace. Yeah. And you know, that's what I appreciated about it at the time, but it wasn't real. And as anyone who uses knows there's diminishing returns on one hand you know that payoff works less and less well to the point that you know i'm drunk to the point of blacking out and i want to kill myself like that like that's where it ends like that's not peace that's not Mm -hmm. you know that's not what i was searching for but yeah that's that's where i experienced kind of true peace for the first time was in that surrender yeah yeah um Based on what you just said, I'm going to take this in just a little bit of a different direction. Yeah. So, you know, from what I know of you, you seem like a very spiritual guy. Mm-hmm. I know you really believe in a higher power and this and that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More so now than ever. Right. Talk about maybe, I think it would be cool for our listeners to hear, what do you do to make sure you connect with that higher power on a daily basis? Because mm-hmm. I know you're really passionate about that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was very difficult for me to find you know any piece of spirituality in my life i like i said i was raised religious and Mm -hmm. you know i struggled with that idea of god and you know why do bad things happen to good people and you know a lot of the Mm -hmm. you know questions that well i don't know if everyone has those but you know i certainly did and you know i you know figured if i didn't buy into that idea of god then you know i threw away the idea altogether you know, I was yeah. actually, when I was 16, and this was part of how I ended up hanging with those friends, was <laughs> I got I got hit by, not hit, but I got drove on top of, I guess I wasn't hit. <laughs> I was ran over. <laughs> right, I was, uh, I, I was, <laughs> I had a friend that was teasing me as I was walking to church, and he was bumping me, bumping me with his truck, and I'm like, I'm not moving, like, you're just being a jerk, and, you know, his truck went out, there was like a hook for towing on the front that caught my church pants. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh, and this, you know, Chevy 2500, you know, no 1995 way. truck drove up on my leg, like, sucked to be under and I, I was like really? you know this happens to be on the way to church there must not be a god but yeah i've that's funny yeah so when i that idea kept me out of aa for a long time the spirituality piece and turning my will and my life over to god and mm-hmm. you know i felt like that excluded me from 
you know, the 12 step program. And every time a judge would sentence me to 90 and 90, I'd just sign my cards myself or have my friends do them because it's anonymous. Right. So I t- okay. took advantage of that. <laughs> Cause you had to sign to show that you had went. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, right. Gotcha. And I always picked treatment centers that you know weren't 12 step. And yeah. it's interesting that I ended up being what worked for me. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. But, that's you awesome. know, for, so my <laughs> to get I keep kind of derailing, no, but you're, you're all right. <laughs> my yeah. So my spiritual, you know, birth I suppose started with, you know, prayers a way that I f- was something that felt strange to me initially, but you know that's where I made a beginning, and you know for step two and step three, my sponsor had me, you know, make a list of like characteristics that you would hope that you know, a higher power would have Mm -hmm. and, you know, your own, you know, your own understanding, not what you've been taught. Like if you could create a God, you know, what would, what would its, you know, characteristics be? And I made that list of, you know, I would hope that it's something that's a source of love, a source of strength, courage, Mm -hmm. um, serenity, peace, Yeah, you know, and, have created that list of what I would hope that God is. And he said, okay, now start praying to that God. And, you know, that was the beginning of me, you know, forming that kind of connection. Wow. And I, it's awesome. Yeah. And I don't know, I can't define what that is, but it's something that, mm-hmm. you know, when I live my life according to, you know, those spiritual principles that, you know, I believe in, my life gets better. Right. And that's all the evidence of, you know, a higher power that I need is that sure. when I live this way, my life becomes better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you pray every day? Is that kind of a daily thing? Mm-hmm. A couple times a day? What, yeah. I mean, what do you try to do right. or is it just when you feel like you need it or? Yeah. So initially it was something that there was a set like third step prayer, seventh step prayer, mm-hmm. you know, a prayer to help me stay sober today, a prayer at night to you know, help me review my day and, yeah. you know, I pray to start my, so there was a lot of like set prayers and then, right. you know, that was good because it got me in the habit of, you know, thinking of the positive and thinking of what I can add to this world and thinking of what I could do to be yeah. of service. But then there was kind of a moment where I was like, you know, well, I almost viewed it as I'm not protected unless I say those prayers. And I was it's like, that's not the way it should be. Like, I don't believe in a God that's like, well, if you don't talk to me five times a day, then you're going to relapse. Like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no. Yeah. And I believe in a God that's loving and that is always there and, you know, cares about me, whether I, you know, say the third step or seventh step prayer or whatever. Which, so, which it, I would add, uh-huh. your your God is understanding. Yeah, right. He understands. Yeah, you're human. Right. Oh, you missed your prayer. I'm not going to punish you for it. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's one of those things that was important that it was on my list is forgiveness. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's Love that. especially important that I practice that with myself. But it mm-hmm. became something that just became a part of the way that I think is, you know, I don't need to pray in the sense that I set aside time. It's something that I carry with me. You know, the thoughts of connectedness and you know, love and surrender and courage and strength are something that I live with and my thoughts are constantly turning towards. And that's the way that I view prayer today is something that, 
you know, I kind of carry with me and is a part of my thoughts. It's not something that I need to set aside time to do. It's part of who I am. It's a part of my existence is appreciating that connection. Wow, that's powerful, powerful. And I I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but I'm so glad we did. Um, And there's so much more to your story that uh, Mm -hmm. I'll have you on again because... Mm -hmm. I want to get more into some of these other things that uh, you kind of, maybe like we said, your experience with jail and things like that. Yeah. Um, because I know that that could fill up a whole hour. Right. But I also think it's important some of the things you learned there as well, because we've yeah. talked a little bit about that mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for sharing that part. Um, I asked you, I want to ask you two things uh, to kind of wrap this up a little bit. Yeah. First would be, and I know, you know, you wouldn't change anything because you are who you are today because of what you've been through, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But if you could go back and go back to your high school self or even that younger kid who was going through that difficult time, yeah. what would, what advice would you give yourself back then, do you think? Yeah. So uh, a couple things. And the first would probably be you're stronger than you think you are. Mm. And... You know, that's a thought that, you know, I carry with me today that, mm-hmm. you know, is a good reminder for me that, you know, I can do hard things. Like, right. I'm a powerful human being. And I certainly didn't recognize that, you know, when I was younger. And the second would be, you know, you you are perfectly imperfect. You know, like, sure, you've you've got flaws, but those are the things that make you you and they're not even really flaws like they're gifts and you know it's those you know idiosyncrasies that Mm -hmm. we all have that you know make us endearing and unique so you know don't shy away from your differentness embrace it Mm. i love that that was Mm -hmm. amazing advice for not just going back to yourself but Mm -hmm. for all of us Mm -hmm. And for you young kids out there who might be listening, that listen to that. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. We can do hard things. Right. Life can be hard at times, and but we can make it through it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we can get through that. Um, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I wanted to ask you, you know, I, I asked you to maybe come up with a challenge for our listeners, mm-hmm. something that you want to challenge them to do. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, did you do you have something for us? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's in line with what we were, you know just finished speaking about it's you know make your own list of you know your definition of a higher power or you know your spiritual principles that it's important for you to live your life with and you know define that I think that you know I certainly floated through the majority of my life without even recognizing what I wanted to represent or be an example of and you know, that, you know, simple beginning of just writing down a list of what it is that you'd like to embody and what it is you want to connect with and be an example of, for me, was one of the most powerful things that I've ever done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that challenge. Mm-hmm. And by the way, you kind of, you gave me that challenge, what, about five months ago when we chatted? I don't know if you remember. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I want to tell you what I put down. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I put down uh, honest integrity integrity trustworthy loyal fairness um uh leadership accountability forgiveness love sympathy compassion purity patient 
fearless, knowledge, wisdom, and compassion. Yeah. I've got compassion on there twice. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> but those, and that's beautiful. And I remember you gave that to me. And it's so interesting that here we are talking about yeah. that. I wasn't planning on sharing this today, <laughs> uh, but there they are. That is awesome. Right there. Right. And if that's what you're living with and that's what you're embodying, like, what mm -hmm. a beautiful life. Like, that's a pathway to peace. That's a pathway to happiness. That's, right. you know, like, you can't get into too much trouble if you're living with honesty, love, compassion. And, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Wow. Uh -huh. Well, you know, obviously the way James lives his life now, you would never know all the bad, I guess, things at the time <laughs> right. you might have been doing or going through. Yeah. Because the you know, people who know you now, you're you're fun loving, mm -hmm. you got the best laugh on the planet. <laughs> we love your laugh. Yeah. It's infectious, seriously. Uh -huh. Like uh, it brightens my day when yeah. I hear you laugh. Seriously. <laughs> and everyone would say that about you. Thank you know, you. you wouldn't hurt a flea, but you're also not afraid to stand up for your beliefs and for who you are. Yes. And uh, truly are an inspiration to me. Yeah. And I, listeners, for those who are listening, please share this with anyone, especially kids who might be struggling. They need to hear James's story. And uh, if people wanted to reach out to you and get to... to to reach out to you, to talk to you about anything, mm -hmm. how would they get a hold of you? What what would be the best way would you want them to? Yeah, so probably the best way would be email. And my email address is james, J-A-M-E-S, at healanddiscover.com. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So there you go, uh, listeners. Um, reach out to James. If you have any questions for him, reach out to him. I know he'd be happy to answer if you have anyone who's struggling, he does some life coaching as well. He'd be happy to coach one of your daughters or sons who might be struggling with just life in general, just trying to find their way. Mm -hmm. And you guys just heard it. I mean, this guy's been clean five and a half years. And uh, again, an honor to know you. I mean, I'm getting mm -hmm. emotional. I don't know why I'm getting <laughs> emotional because okay. James just does that to people. But uh, thank you. It's yeah. my uh, honor to have you on my belief cast today. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, glad to be here. And okay. you know, I appreciate it. And I love you. I love you too, man. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. For the man.